The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to What You Missed This Week. I'm Joe Weisenthal. This podcast has some of our favorite interviews from the Daily Market Close show that I co-anchor along with Romaine Bostic and Caroline Hyde. What You Miss? It's the perfect way to kick off your weekend. This week, we hit in, well, President Trump's words, a sacred number, 30,000 on the Dow. But while it was a sacred day for some, investors caught up in the U.S. stock benchmarks breaking records might forget that there is still an awful lot to repair in the U.S. economy. President-elect Joe Biden and his expected Treasury Secretary nominee, that's Janet Yellen, will have no small task in front of them. With no fresh round of stimulus and COVID cases surging across the country, many people are not feeling pretty optimistic right now. And as we head into those holiday season, all-important consumer confidence dropped, jobless claims rose. The only glimmer of strength seems to be housing. We spoke all about the road ahead for the economic recovery and the new slate of policymakers who will be at the helm of it with who better than Alan Blinder. Alan Blinder is the former vice chair of the Federal Reserve and was a member of the President Clinton's original Council of Economic Advisers. Now he's a professor of economics and public affairs at Princeton University. We started by asking him, well, if the US economy has enough momentum to rebound to pre-pandemic levels without further fiscal stimulus. I'm, I'm a little worried about that. I think right now, I thought you'd ask right now, how, how does it look? Right now, it looks pretty good. Better than we had any right to expect, say, six months ago. A lot better than that. But I'm a bit worried. The, 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 the tea leaves, the most recent tea leaves um, about confidence that you just mentioned, mm. some of these mobility data that you get from Google and Apple and other places like that, are looking just a little bit like March. Not, no, I don't want to be alarmist. They don't look that bad. But it, there's a look that people are getting worried and maybe hunkering down because of all of this disease. And for that reason, I think it's imperative that we take out another insurance policy. That's what these relief bills are. And uh, put some more, uh, prop the economy up a bit more to make sure it doesn't stumble. Where does it need to be targeted? Does it need to be targeted? Or do we need to just once again put checks into people's letterboxes? Do we need to do PPP mm. loans, even though perhaps it's not the most specific, but it just gets money out there quickly? Yep. Um, I'm tempted to say just uh, get the money out, but uh, until things get worse, I wouldn't go that far. I think you do want to target it. I think you want to target it on... Uh, uh, unemployed and poor people that need the money to maintain... They're spending, you want to target it on small businesses. So it may be PPP or something else. PPP is something we already have. It's not the greatest design program, but it exists so we can use it uh, quickly. And I really would emphasize state and local governments. Mm. Uh, they are getting in, they're now in a vice between greater spending that they need to do for health and safety, COVID, school safety, and so on and falling revenues because of the weaker 
uh, economy, and they have to balance their budgets. So this is kind of an imminent uh, need. And so I would certainly put target some of it right there. So unemployment, PPP, um, state and local, it's not too targeted. I mean, those are some pretty broad areas, small business, the unemployed, state and local. Like, there's a lot of parts of the economy that need aid right now, in your view. That's right. That's right. And I think we need to think of it at right this minute, I'm thinking of it as an insurance policy so we don't fall down a rabbit hole. But if we start falling down that rabbit hole, it'll be a lot more than insurance. It will be relief. Alan Blanda, I know you've been, as a professor, thinking long and hard and writing long and hard about the inequality that we're seeing bubbling up in the system as well. How is that something that will need to be tackled as we go further into 2021 to just try and not only right the ship but ensure that all boats float? Yep, I think it needs to be tackled. The question is whether we'll be able to tackle it if we still have a Republican Senate. Mm. You know, everybody can make their own guess about the outcomes of the elections in Georgia. I'm a Democrat myself, as you know. I'd like to see the Democrats win those two seats. Uh, if I was betting, which I'm not, <laughs> I'd probably bet against that, meaning that Mitch McConnell will have the ability, as he had throughout the entire Obama administration, to block everything. And I would like to see some Republicans speaking out against that, because we do have a huge inequality uh, problem in this country. If you didn't realize that, the pandemic made it as clear as a bell. I mean, right. you could just see who was hurt by this and where were their holes in the social safety net, and there are big holes. So, yeah, I would love to see a full-throated attack on the, on the holes in the safety net. But I think to do that, we need a Democratic... Uh, I'm afraid to do that, we need a Democratic Senate. Well, we'll talk more about fiscal policy in a moment in the next segment. But just real quickly before we do, at this point, is there more in your view that the Fed could do unilaterally? I mean, setting aside some of the question of CARES Act programs and so forth, are there tools either on rate policy, credit policy, et cetera, that without, um, without waiting for Congress to give it more tools that it could deploy right now to help this recovery uh, be more self-sustaining? Yes, there definitely are, but I don't think they're very strong tools. That, and I suspect the Fed will wind up doing some of them. So, for example, in its QE program, it could lengthen the maturities. Lots of people are talking about that. After all, the, ob the objective of QE is basically to flatten the yield curve. So if you go out and buy longer maturities, uh, that should help. They could raise the volume of QE purchases. That should help. Um, those are small bore right. uh, uh, tools of which the Fed can do. I think item number one on the Fed's agenda right now is to try as best it can. And the new Secretary of the Treasury, but that's not till January 20th, will probably help, uh, to undo as best they can. They can't literally undo the absolutely um, nasty, mean, destructive actions of Secretary Mnuchin in trying to destroy the emergency lending facilities. Talk right. about insurance policies. That's what they are. And Mr. Mnuchin looked at these and said, oh, insurance policies, we don't need insurance anymore. There have been no claims, uh, basically. So let's destroy our insurance policies. That's not the way I act or you act, probably, with your homeowner's fire insurance. 
that, you know, there's been no fire, so let's cancel the policy. Uh, it, it was a crazy thing to do, I think. And Jerome Powell, as best he can from his perch as Fed chair, he has to be a lot more polite than I just was, has said, more, you know, in polite terms, more or less the same thing. One person that we think will be on the forefront of this task is expected to be Treasury Secretary nominee Janet Yellen. Yeah, of course, I guess it's not uh, official yet, but it's been uh, reported by us and everyone else that she will be the pick, the former Federal Reserve Chair, former head of the San Francisco Fed, obviously someone that everyone thinks is uh, wildly qualified for the role. Let's bring back in Ellen Blinder, former Federal Reserve Vice Chairman. Uh, let's start big. I mean, your basic thoughts on this pick. What does uh, Yellen, the former Fed Chair, bring to the table as a potential Treasury Secretary if confirmed? Well, I'm this punch. I think she brings everything. She brings uh, brain power for sure. She brings relevant knowledge acquired at the Federal Reserve, at the CEA, in academia, everywhere. Uh, she brings uh, uh, strong-minded, but I would say soft-hearted attitudes. We were talking a bit uh, before the break about inequality and things like that. She cares deeply about issues like that. The chairman of the Fed, which she used to be, is not in a position to do much about that. The, the secretary treasury, if she has the president's ear, and I think and I hope she will, is in a position to do things mm -hmm. uh, about that. So, you know, uh, she, you, you could say she's been getting schooled for this position, though I don't think she was anticipating <laughs> it for a very long time. Yeah. And uh, she is ready to execute. She's ready to execute on the politicking. I, I note this because of, I mean, who's right. written about this at length, the fact that people, at, in particular America, suffers when we see economics and politics collide. She's going to have to not just only do the economics, which we know she can do, but the politicking as well. Yep, and she's going to suffer from some of that, for sure. I was mentioning before the break that there's a roadblock named McConnell who will still be in the road unless the Democrats take those two seats in uh, Georgia. So there's going to be a lot of hard negotiation um, for sure. There's, there's no doubt about that. It's not like Janet Yellen will just be able to go to President Biden when he's president and say, we should do X, Y, Z, and he says, great. And then they go back to Congress and X, Y, Z passes. Mm. That's not the way it's going to be. It's obviously presuming that McConnell is the, uh, the remains his role in the Senate, depending on that Georgia runoff. It's going to be tough. But in your view, are there potential areas for compromise or ways in which uh, stimulus that could help the economy right now could be paired with some Republican priority responsibly that would actually help uh, break the logjam? Everyone thinks it'd be tough. But uh, is it doable? Or are there areas that you think the Biden administration should be willing to uh, give in on? Yeah, I think it's tough but doable. Uh, I imagine, we'll see what happens, that the uh, fiscal stimulus or relief package, if one passes, is going to have to be substantially smaller than, well, there's no Biden proposal on the table now, but there's a Pelosi proposal on the table now, which I personally like, but it's not going to pass muster right. with the uh, Senate Republicans. So it's, uh, so it's going to have to be smaller uh, than that. I think a key area 
for bargaining is going to be the same part. Um, the Republicans have been very, very unwilling, amazingly unwilling, to move much on that, even though this is not just a blue state issue. Early on in the pandemic, it was mainly the blue states, including my state, New Jersey, that were suffering. It's not the case anymore. In fact, the, the worst of the suffering is going on in red states right now, and that hits the state budgets. And they need help, and they should get help. This is not a blue pandemic or a red uh, pandemic. So right. I keep hoping that enough other senators from struggling states, Republican senators, will whisper in McConnell's ear and say, we really need to do something because it's my state that's right. suffering. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. We kept on the theme of Biden's expected Treasury Secretary nominee, Janet Yellen, and dove into what will be one big part of her job, financial regulation. We spoke with Catherine Judge, a professor of law at Columbia Law School, started by asking her what needs to be the regulatory priority of the incoming administration and whether Janet Yellen's viewpoint aligns with them. So I think the, the top priority has to be identifying and addressing potential threats to stability, particularly arising from the non-bank uh, financial sector. And I think that is completely in line with Janet Yellen's recent statements regarding potential threats to stability. I mean, one of the biggest developments that we've seen recently, of course, is the Fed's adoption of a revised framework for monetary policy. But they have made clear that the only way that they're going to allow the economy to run hot is if there's no threats to stability. So this really is a time where the Treasury Secretary has the ability, as the head of the Financial Stability Oversight Council, to really work broadly with financial regulators to address these potential threats and then allow the Fed to do its job. Just talk us through sort of the shadow banking part of the equation that you're talking to. Where are the particular threats you wanted her to address head on, first and foremost? Of course. I mean, it's such a loose term, right? And one of the, the big lessons of the 08 crisis is even though the risk eventually spilled over into banks, it really emerged from, from the non-bank sector of financial intermediation, where we had a bunch of interconnected entities that were effectively providing the same functions and were exposed to the same risks. And so we have seen Yellen speak recently about the fact that we still don't have a, a good idea over what's going on in, in certain areas with hedge funds, for example. And of course, the OFR could do a lot more to collect data, and that will be under the broad jurisdiction. It's outside, independent of, but, but housed within Treasury. She has also identified money market mutual funds and open-end mutual funds, both of which really needed help uh, in, in March, and also leverage lending. I mean, she took actions there while she was the Fed chair and could more create a more broadly coordinated 
uh, response to try to address uh, corporate lending, which could, of course, be a drag on the economic recovery that the Biden administration wants to see in the, the years ahead. Is there tension between running a hot economy and running a uh, regulatory regime that keeps uh, the financial system sort of stable, as you define it? I mean, it all depends over what the time frame is that you're looking at, right? So in the short run, deregulation can at times have the marginal effect of, of boosting credit creation. On the other hand, when it explodes, it brings the entire economy down. And so what I think the, the Biden administration is going to want to do is to create a more sustainable path for economic growth. And so that does potentially mean allowing the economy to run hot. I mean, we've learned some really interesting lessons about what's possible on the monetary policy front in the past you know, few years. And so I think to be able to make that happen, to be able to allow that type of uh, energy, that type of booster shot to go into the economy, then you want to make sure that there's nothing that's going to cause the, the financial sector to implode in a way that could bring down the real economy. And so that's where using regulation as a more targeted way to address potential threats. So for example, open-ended mutual funds, again, we saw that if you have bonds uh, backing those funds, they're not very liquid but you allow daily liquidity for the redemptions, then if people get scared, you're gonna have runs and you're gonna have uh, stability concerns. And so trying to figure out ahead of time what we can do to avoid those types of dynamics, I think can actually allow a lot more flexibility uh, for the Fed to allow the economy to run hot. What about sort of the retail investor at the moment as well and the fact that sort of throughout 2020, we've seen the, the power of the Robin Hood trade and whether that's something that might be passed over by her? Hmm. You know, that is a really good question. And she hasn't spoken on that yet. But my guess is on the whole in getting up to speed over the various potential threats to stability. And again, the, the role of the Financial Stability Oversight Council isn't so much to make rules as much as it's a, a coordinating body. Um, so what you're doing is you're bringing together all of the other financial regulators, asking them what they see as threats, but also if you're separately identifying them, then you're telling the primary regulators like the SEC, look, what's going on in this area? We wanna know more about it or creating working groups. The FSOC has used working groups to facilitate coordination uh, among different agencies. So a development like that, that's new and, and you know, where we're still trying to figure out what the ramifications are, I can imagine just the very process of saying, look, we need to really pay paying close attention to this is gonna be a big step forward relative to what we've seen over the last few years. Real quickly, you've been talking about hedge funds, shadow banking, uh, leveraged lending. What about banks themselves, sort of like the big, uh, too big to fail type institutions? What do you see as the big priorities uh, on that front? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting there is there's certainly uh, gonna be an ongoing need for diligence. And Yellen made some very helpful comments early in the crisis that you know, if she was at the Fed, she would have made a different decision regarding allowing banks to continue to make payoffs payouts, excuse me, to shareholders after the pandemic hit. So I think she has a very deep understanding that you really need to have a well-capitalized banking sector. Um, and, and so trying to figure out how to make sure it stays well-capitalized, how to try to invoke the, the counter-cyclical regulatory bubble, which is kind of like, let's make sure they build up capital in good times so they can spend it down in bad times. Um, and then trying to figure out uh, what additional roles they can pay to, again, to sustain the economic growth that the Biden administration is really going to want to see coming out of this pandemic. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. 
It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. It's short and trading week. Well, it wasn't short in records, certainly not for the equity markets. Investors downright giddy as they get clarity on the Biden administration and, and receive a wave of positive news about COVID vaccines. There remains, though, this massive ambiguity about the future of fiscal policy, the pace of this unequal economic recovery. On Wednesday, we got a slew of US data that saw jobless claims, as I said, rise for a second week in a row. Income, consumer sentiment fall. But for now, though, the overall investor sentiment seems to point to a pretty positive outlook. But this market euphoria seems divorced, of course, from the economic reality. And now Treasury, presumably being led under Janet Yellen, may have one less tool to use to facilitate the recovery. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin will put $455 billion in unspent CARES Act funding into an account that his eventual successor will soon need reauthorization from Congress to use. So basically, Mnuchin has made it much more difficult for the new administration. Skanda Amanath, Director of Research and Analysis at Employee America, argues the action is actually illegal under the CARES Act. Skanda joined us to talk about this, and we started by asking him, well, what could, if anything, be reversed? The transfer that Secretary Mnuchin announced yesterday, or so spokesperson announced, from the Exchange Stabilization Fund and from the funds that were so allocated towards these uh, special purpose vehicles for lending that the Fed was managing, right? Secretary Mnuchin has called this back and is trying to make the claim that I can move this money into what's called the Treasury's general fund. And once it enters there, it now needs new approval from Congress. The problem with this claim or reasoning is that it actually goes against the very set of purposes that are permissible for how Secretary Mnuchin can use his the funds that were appropriated to him here. So he can't just put, pay this back to the general fund whenever he wants. There's a very clear timeline. That timeline specifies in Section 4027 of the CARES Act that on January, January 1st, 2026, so a good five years from now, is when that money is supposed to go back to the general fund, at which point there will need to be a new round of authorization needed. But before then, there are certain ways that Treasury can act can use the funds that Congress authorized um, in the CARES Act. Uh, and that optionality still does remain with the next Treasury Secretary. It's not quite as expansive after January 1st, 2021. But the notion that it has terminated or that it needs new approval from Congress is just not hmm. rooted in any sort of textual basis in uh, the CARES Act itself. So could this get bound up in legality, though, even if there is this window of opportunity, smaller as it might be, for the supposed Treasury Secretary, 
Janet Yellen to make the most mm -hmm. of the 450 billion still left there. C could it? Could she face the political wrath then of the Republicans? Mm. I mean, you've already seen that Senator Toomey released a statement. Again, not exactly making any of these claims based on what's actually in the CARES Act, but <laughs> because I was at the table, I was at the negotiating table, and I had certain intentions. Therefore, this is what the CARES Act means. Um, it's it's sort of a very bizarro and honestly not a very conservative view of sort of how to interpret the law to say that <laughs> you're just going to make up what these purposes are supposed to be and then post hoc, oh, I guess Donald Trump's not going to be the president anymore, so these powers go away. Um, it's quite uh, reckless, I would ar argue. So um, but it doesn't actually tie the hands of the next Treasury Secretary. So just because Steve Mnuchin is doing something that would be in violation of the CARES Act by moving this to the general fund, there are internal processes available, to, one, to investigate what the heck's going on here in terms of why this transfer has happened. And if transfers are made either illegally or incorrectly, there are ways for Treasury to make public legal findings and to um, take the necessary action to reverse course. Sure. So the notion that this has cemented the toilets yeah. or this is some sort of like big, uh, like there's only one way you can go, we can only go back to the general fund, it can't come back, is not quite right either. So let's, uh, as, you meant, as you sort of described the take of Mnuchin and uh, Senator Toomey, is there some ambiguity in your view between the literal wording that the law actually says and this idea of, okay, but yeah, this is what we meant? <laughs> so there, I'll, I'll just lay this out in terms of the timeline. So there were a set of things that Mnuchin was allowed to do and not allowed to do with the the $454 billion, right. and it's actually $454 plus. Uh, he could use it to invest in equity stakes in the uh, Fed's lending programs and facilities. So the, the Treasury has made equity investments in these facilities, and he is given discretion, and this is being done through the Exchange Stabilization Fund, just to be clear. Um, so this is a way for, for the Treasury Secretary to make these investments. Uh, he has some room to operate that does get constrained as of Jan 1st, 2021, at which point he can't make any new loans, new loan guarantees, or new investments. But there will be existing investments on January 1st, 2021. Um, specifically, there will be some equity capital behind all of the existing Fed, um, Fed facilities, the Fed special purpose vehicles. And so that equity capital is going to exist. Those investments are still going to be outstanding. Right. And the CARES Act allows you to at least modify restructure or otherwise amend them. So there's still some room to toggle with the existing investments. And then that goes away in 2026. Mm. Um, so there is a very specific set of things. Now, what qualifies as a restructuring, a modification, an amendment? I think there's a little bit of ambiguity there, but it is pretty expansive authority also. I think that's, that has yeah, to be acknowledged yeah. as well. Um, expansive authority that hasn't been deployed that efficiently thus far, Skander. And so from your perspective, like if we are going to still be able to use these sorts of programs, how can we make sure that people actually, you know, the municipalities hmm. and the companies actually get the access to the, camp, to the money? Yeah, so we've heard from reporting about how the Main Street lending program went, that part of the reason the terms were not particularly attractive for businesses and why it ended up being kind of a disappointment relative to what it was supposed to be for medium-sized businesses was that the Treasury was particularly interested in sort of turning a profit over actually extending credit. And so that is the kind of policy discretion that would still be available if to, to help make the Main Street lending facility a little more of a success. 
um, make sure that there is maybe broader take up or broader usage, or at least for those who it was intended for it, at least feel like it did more, it delivered more benefits and actually served a fundamental sort of a lending valve for businesses who do still need credit. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Then we dove more into the recovery ahead and how to ensure it's an equitable one. We spoke with David Wilcox, former senior advisor to the last three Federal Reserve chairs and current senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Finance. We started by asking him about the role of generational wealth and economic mobility or lack thereof in the United States widening inequality. Well, let me just first uh, comment, if I may, briefly on that chart and what it shows. It, sure. the, the decline in mobility is, uh, is, is really a sea change in what represents a core part of the American story. We have prided ourselves uh, for generations that if you worked hard, applied yourself, got a good education, that you had a, a great chance to be better off economically than your parents. And what that chart shows is that Although that was true uh, for many years, uh, it's much less true today than it was. And that really is a profound change in the economic environment. One other uh, fact that doesn't come out from that chart is uh, that, of course, the opportunity toward a, a, a more secure economic future was always more available to those who were privileged, to whites, uh, than it was to African-Americans or other people of, of color. So uh, there's a tremendous amount of work to be done in the country, never more now than now in the midst of this pandemic-induced in collapse. The American dream is what many had, and we see it being spoken about more and more. The, the viciousness and the speed with which this slowdown occurred and now the recovery begins sort of puts the shines a light on the inequality that we all knew really but now it's just become that much more evident so much so that we have president-elect biden talking of a so-called k-shaped economy to have the lexicon of, sh of shapes and letters and economic recovery come to the president-elect is, is quite something do you think, particularly with perhaps a labor market economist coming into the Treasury Department's mm. role, what sort of focus do you think we might see Janet Yellen and President-elect Biden put upon this? I do think Janet Yellen is uniquely well-positioned to serve as the next Secretary of the Treasury. She's brought a lifelong passion to taking the tools of government and using them for the betterment of people's lives. She's never once lost. 
sight of the purpose of using the tools of government to ensure that the economy works in the most broad-based manner for inclusion for all and creating the widest possible uh, circle of opportunity. I've known Janet for many years and she never once has uh, uh, evinced to me a sense of satisfaction with the way things are. She's always striving to make things better. You know, one of the things that we saw, I mean, when we talk about ameliorating inequality, we talk about the tax code and other uh, aspects of fiscal policy or other investments that we can make into the workforce. But one of the things that we saw at the end of last expansion prior to the virus-induced recession was that uh, just the a tight labor market is good. A tight labor market means greater wage growth. It means that uh, segments of the population that don't typically enjoy the fruits of the boom started to be brought in. How much can be done on um, uh, inequality simply by get, making a focus of robust growth, running the economy hot, and getting us back to something resembling full employment? It's a key insight. It goes back, actually, uh, many decades. It goes to a, a renowned macroeconomist named Arthur Oaken, who coined the term uh, 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 who, who coined really the focus on a hot economy and the benefits that it brings to groups that are traditionally marginalized in the labor market. We saw that playing out in a wonderful way uh, toward the end of the most recent expansion. What we saw were narrowing gaps between uh, African-Americans yeah. and whites in terms of their unemployment rates, narrowing gaps between Hispanics and whites and their yeah. unemployment rates. And that's it for What You Missed This Week. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can catch our show every weekday from 3.30 to 5 p.m. on Bloomberg TV and from 4 to 5 p.m. on Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.